Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. What's up? Devin Kadiyama, host of The Bay, All this month, we've been sharing some of our favorite episodes from the past year, and today we're going to take you back to the beginning of 2020, when two moms from Oakland, Dominique Walker and Samira Kareem, were in the middle of occupying a house in West Oakland without permission from the company that owned it. You may remember back in November when we told you about the two moms who moved their families into a vacant West Oakland home without permission. It's owned by a wealthy investor group called Wedgwood. Well, this week, the moms were in court to argue why they should be allowed to stay in that house. And any day now, we'll find out if the judge is sympathetic enough to their argument that housing is a human right. People are identifying with this. You know, there's a lot of people in the Bay Area that feel insecure about housing right now, that understand what it's like to not know if they can afford to be here. The idea that housing is a human right has never been a reality in the U.S. It's not in the Constitution, and it's just a really hard argument to make in court. But this time, these moms are hoping that the moral case that they're making might be enough to change things. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. 
Thanks. Monday was sort of the big court hearing that everybody's been waiting for. Molly Solomon is a reporter with KQED's Housing Affordability Desk. For the past couple of weeks, there's been this idea of a showdown and the ability to have the women make their case in court about this Moms for Housing story. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dominique Walker. I'm one of the co-founders of Moms for Housing, and I would just like to thank everyone for showing up today and support um, for what's happening here um, in Oakland. About 100 so supporters showed up. I mean, the, the courtroom was entirely packed, and people were actually waiting outside because they couldn't get into the into the building. They wouldn't let more people in. Um, And what they were doing that day was essentially making the argument that the women have a right to be there and they have a right to have a say in this eviction hearing. What's at stake here is the women being able to stay in this house, this house that they have been occupying since November. So they've been in there for over a month. They've spent the holidays there. They put up a Christmas tree. So the judge's decision here is really a big deal on how much longer they can be there. So the home that the two moms, Dominique Walker and Samira Karim, have been living in since November is owned by a company called Wedgwood, which is based in Southern California. It seems like a hard sell to convince a judge to let somebody stay in a home without permission from the owner. How did attorneys for the moms make their argument in court? I mean, I think they're really going back to basic human rights here. They're saying that these women, if they are not allowed to stay in there, are going to be homeless. They're going to be living on the street. And that is taking away their basic human right to shelter, their human right to adequate housing. That's what this is about. And that's sort of what their entire legal argument hinges on. There's some legal precedent for this. They point to a California Supreme Court case that they say gives renters a lot more protection. They also say that this would violate their Fourth Amendment rights, their rights to due process if they're not allowed to be in this eviction hearing and have a voice here. But the big argument here really is housing as a human right. What does that exactly mean? And what could that set up if the judge thinks that's a valid argument? This idea that housing is a human right isn't new. You may have heard it from housing activists in the Bay Area and elsewhere, but it actually goes back decades. In 1944, President Roosevelt mentioned it in his State of the Union address. He had given this set of economic bill of rights, basically a second bill of rights that had different things that every American is entitled to. The right of every family to a decent home, the right to adequate medical care, and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. Of course, that hasn't been realized in the United States, but it has been in other places in the world. Uh, South Africa is one country, Scotland, France, all those places have built in housing as a human right, either in legislation that they've passed or into their own um, state's constitution. And what does that actually look like in those countries? Well, it's a little different. But in Scotland, which is an example that I've looked at more closely, there is an actual system that seems to get people into housing faster. And I'm not saying that homelessness doesn't exist in a place like Scotland, but they have much more subsidized housing. The government pays for a lot more housing for people. Uh, It's not something that's getting cut as much as it is in this country. Um, And then there's also just a quicker turnaround. They try to get people into more permanent housing solutions faster faster so that they're not languishing in shelters or more temporary spaces. So it sounds like a a part of it is coming down to money and the amount of 
kind of willpower politicians or local cities or, or countries are willing to put into housing. Exactly. And how much governments are going to actually pay up and build these kind of infrastructures that are going to house people. Because housing is a human right isn't necessarily a new idea. In fact, it sounds like it's almost decades old in some cases. Has that argument ever been successful here in the U.S.? Well, we've seen some cities that have passed resolutions and more like declarative statements that they believe that housing is a human right. But the problem when you talk to attorneys about, you know, actually being able to use this as a legal argument is that it's not built into our constitution. You know, the U.S. did sign on to a U.N. international human rights treaty in the 70s, but, you know, the Senate never ratified that. So it's almost like, you know, we signed a document, but it doesn't really mean anything. What's Wedgwood said about any of this? Well, they haven't said much besides that they feel like this is a pretty clear-cut case of theft. That's something that Sam Singer, the spokesman for Wedgwood, has said every single time we've talked to him. Thank you. This is a very simple, straightforward case. It's the case of people invading someone else's home, taking it and claiming it as their own. This is theft. These women are stealing, and he's just kind of you know, leaned on that argument throughout this whole case. I mean, I think what Wedgwood is is saying is sort of the letter of the law. They're saying that we owned this property and these women came in and, and they stole it from us. And I mean, they don't deny that this is the business that they operate in. You know, if you go to their website, flipping houses is what they do and it's how they've made money. But, you know, I, I don't think that really is what the whole idea of housing as a human right gets at. And that's not really what these women are, are, are trying to say. For them, this is coming down to a much more fundamental human right to be, to be somewhere. And for them, that's off the streets, that's in this house. And I think they're asking all of us to really think about, you know, as a society, what do we value and what do we think is moral? One of the things that, that struck me was this video that I saw from earlier this week, it was Oakland City Council member Nikki Fortunato Bass speaking outside the courthouse. And I want to remind us that at one point in history, it was legal to, for a white person to own a black person. It was illegal for a black woman to have coffee at a white restaurant. And she brought up the fact that slavery was once legal, that Jim Crow laws were once legal. And I was curious what that had to do with the moral argument that Moms for Housing Group is making when it comes to housing as a human right. I think that people like Councilmember Fortunato Bass see this as the new civil rights movement of our time. I mean, these are things that she's pointed to that we've once accepted as legal and right and now seem completely wrong. And I think for her, she sees this women's movement, the Moms for Housing movement, homelessness in general, there's going to be something that is being built upon here that's going to push back. And whether it's asserting your right, like these women have, by taking over this home as a statement that there isn't enough housing available for some people in this area, or maybe changing the laws to make something like housing a human right. But I think she's showing that sometimes you need to break the law to change the law. That's an interesting idea, like this idea of it being the new civil rights, because you think about who is most affected by homelessness when you look at the numbers and you think about like just the symbolic nature of black moms taking over this home, which is in, in West Oakland, which is a neighborhood that has been through, you know, different iterations of, of challenges 
That's right. And I mean, look at who is living on our streets. A recent point in time count showed that while African-Americans make up a quarter of the population in Oakland, more than 70 percent of the homeless people in Oakland are black. And so I think with these women taking over this house, that's a part of this conversation, too, that, you know, for Dominique, for Samira, they're from Oakland. This is their home. And when they came back here, they found that they couldn't live here. They couldn't buy a home. They couldn't rent a home. Uh, If they wanted to live with family, they'd have to commute several hours to actually get to work. And so I think there is this really interesting thing happening where there's a lot of intersectionality about homelessness in this particular neighborhood, West Oakland, that is changing, too. And when we look at, you know, who's buying these properties and we look at companies like Wedgwood who have come into these communities, purchased these homes that have been sitting vacant, and then they continue to have them empty there. I mean, there's a deep injustice that I think these women are feeling when they feel like, okay, I can't actually be in this house because I'm living on the street, but then there are these houses owned by these rich corporations that aren't from here, and they just sit empty. What do you think it'll say about the housing is a human right argument if the judge rules against the two moms and the, and the Moms for Housing group? I don't think it's going to stop this movement. I think, if anything, it's going to embolden more people to come out and and gather around the women and rally for them. I mean, I see this getting to almost like a showdown point. I think that all of those people that we've seen that have come out to support them at these, you know, courtroom hearings, out on the streets, they're going to show up at the house. And I think we're going to see them come out and try to protect these women in that house. And I think it's because people are identifying with this. You know, there's a lot of people in the Bay Area that feel insecure about housing right now, that understand what it's like to not know if they can afford to be here. So I think that that's something that people have seen and they've hung on to. Yeah. And and you've seen, I mean, on Twitter, you can't Google Moms for Housing without seeing streams of people from across the country chiming in on this conversation. So, I mean, it's something that people are really rallying behind and it's it's something that a lot of people have started to identify with. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of protests and a lot of people um, engaged in the conversation around homelessness, but I, it, not to the degree that I've seen with this particular case. And I mean, the group kind of formed out of out of nowhere, but now has like a website that you go to. At the same time, this housing is a human right idea, which has been around for a while, hasn't really been been pushed the way it's being pushed right now. So I can imagine there's also people who don't really know what they feel about it. But have you seen any support either for Wedgwood or just people not really knowing what to do with this argument? Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people are wrestling with. You know, I think we live in a society where there are certain rules and certain things that we live by. And stealing somebody's property, which is the argument that Wedgwood has used that these women are doing – is something that I think we intrinsically think of as bad or, or wrong. But a lot of people are also really sympathetic to this woman's story. You know, these are women who have children and they're saying they've gone through all of the steps that they would need to get through to get housing in this, you know, in the city of Oakland. And it hasn't worked. You know, it's they've basically come to this point where they feel like they have no other choice but 
to occupy this house, to not live on the streets with their kids. So I think it is something that people have really wrestled with, you know, in terms of how do they how do they help? How do they respond? Is this wrong? If I'm a homeowner, could somebody steal my property? Um, It's definitely something that's that's controversial. I think especially people that own homes, there's this feeling of, okay, how far does maybe squatters rights go? And when does it turn into something that's breaking the law? Yeah. Whether you believe in the idea that housing is a human right and, you know, the moral argument for that, whether you believe that's true or not, is there any reason to believe that this argument might work in court? I mean, we'll find out soon enough, but it hasn't so far. And I think that will be the challenge these women and the attorneys are going to have to face here. Because I think you, you know, as humans, we all want to believe that everybody should be housed. You know, when we go outside and you see people sleeping on the streets, you see these encampments that have popped up everywhere. I think we all know that's not right. That shouldn't be the case. But you start to lose people when you think about how could that actually be realized? You know, who's going to pay for that? Where are we going to put people? Um, Does that mean losing something that somebody else owns? Uh, So I think when we start to dig deeper into what that would look like here, it becomes more difficult. Since this episode published back in early January, the moms actually won the right to live in the house through the Oakland Community Land Trust. That organization is going to buy the property and then lease it back to them. This idea of occupying homes is spreading. This month, single mothers and their children in Philly have begun occupying abandoned public buildings. And in March, another group of houseless mothers took over a two-bedroom home in LA. That house is actually owned by the state of California, and the moms are now asking Governor Gavin Newsom for direct assistance. Housing advocates in Los Angeles have said the work of Moms for Housing in Oakland is a spark plug for a growing movement along the West Coast. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is made by your public media station, KQED in San Francisco. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.